0: Hello, and welcome to Chat for a Change, a podcast that interviews changemakers from around the globe. I'm your host, Delilah Tichmiller, and our guest today is climate activist, environmental scientist, and ethical influencer, Laura Young. Hi, Laura. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. How are you doing? I'm really good, and I'm really excited to have you on my podcast because you're the first, you know, full-out climate activist I'm having on and I'm obsessed with climate activism, been a climate activist in my community for the past five years, and it's great to see somebody on the national level making a difference. So I'm very happy to have you on, so thank you for coming. So can you just first tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: Sure, so yeah, I'm Laura. I'm 27 and based up in Scotland, um, so I live in a place called Dundee, um, which is in the kind of nearly northeast kind of middle east of Scotland. Um, And yeah, I guess I've been a sort of climate activist for several years now. So in at the end of high school, fell in love with the subject geography, went to pursue that at university. And over the past few years have continued in academia, have worked as a campaigner, and I'm now doing a PhD in climate science. But alongside all of that, I've been really passionate about campaigning for change across all different environmental issues but also the things that it intersects with so everything from plastic recycling to climate and all the justice issues that kind of interlink with that which is great um so I spend my days every day is different um from academic research through to campaigning and speaking in various different um news outlets or in parliaments it's very exciting um, but definitely a very varied work career I guess if you could call it that
0: That's phenomenal. I mean, it really has become your whole life, basically, right? Yeah. So um, my following question was, what made you get involved in environmental activism? But you kind of answered that. Was there anything you wanted to add there? I
1: mean, to be honest, I think I had a real passion for kind of learning, like learning about the world, geography, all that kind of stuff. But there's something about, maybe it's just my personality, but when you learn about the world and you learn about how we are damaging it, and how that's impacting nature, how that's impacting people, how people are being displaced, how people have food scarcity, water scarcity, whatever it is. Like, I can't just sit in a classroom and learn that. I'm like, OK, what do we do? Like, what do we do now? And so I think all alongside my studies, I was really like, OK, how can I actually take this and apply it to my life through everyday little actions you know everything helps but also how can I use my career and my academic background to try and push forward action on a much bigger scale than than just my life and obviously along the way there's been stuff like we've got David Attenborough here in the UK and he does amazing documentaries and you know those have kind of all along the years been like okay you know let's let's keep moving because you see it you know you see it on your TV Um. so yeah I guess but but really it was just a love of the subject um, and a love of the great outdoors here in Scotland that made me think, yeah, I really do want to try and protect this.
0: And I've seen that one of the ways you try to protect this is through your campaign to ban disposable vapes. Can you tell us more about that? I think that's amazing.
1: Yeah. I mean it's kind of a random kind of topic, but you know, I think actually it represents something a lot bigger. So disposable vapes are um well vapes more broadly were designed you know 20 years ago where when they kind of first came out and they weren't that popular but they were designed as a smoking cessation tool so something to get people off tobacco cigarettes which is always a good thing but in the last couple of years we've seen an explosion of these kind of really stylish kind of cleverly marketed disposable vapes which have really flown off the shelves and have been taken up not just by adults trying to quit smoking, but by young people, by people who never smoked. And these are tiny little electronic devices. So they're the size of like a highlighter pen and they are designed to be single use. So you use them until the liquid runs out and the battery runs out and then you chuck it away and get a new one. And they're super cheap. So here in the UK, you can get them for as little as like two pounds, three pounds. Um... And they've really become this huge issue. And I guess I came across them about a year ago because I started finding them as litter. So like just out and about on my daily walks, I was like, what are these? Why am I finding them everywhere? And long story short, it kind of takes you down a rabbit hole of realising that these are throwaway electronics. They are a huge fire risk, very damaging litter. And of course, you've got the public health issues that these are just, you know, we've got a youth vaping epidemic and, you know, they're really being marketed in a way that is harmless and people are just buying them thinking that they are a lifestyle accessory um but i think ultimately you know people often ask why are you campaigning about something as small as disposable vapes when there are global issues with oil fields and you know much bigger problems around plastic or whatever it might be and i totally get that but i think partly it's you know we need to tackle everything but also disposable vapes represent a small door that is being opened to a big problem, which is disposable electronics. We don't have disposable electronics, your phone, your laptop. If you've got smart devices, you charge them, your toaster, your kettle, your hairdryer, it's all stuff that you plug in. We don't have disposable electronics. And so it also represents, we've got this opportunity to deal with this problem before it gets a lot bigger. And so it kind of represents the throwaway culture that we've created. And the throwaway culture of really valuable materials. And so that's why, I've been campaigning about it because nobody else was so I kind of stepped up and said "Right, I'll lead this and it's been great to see all the stuff that's been happening over the last year
0: yeah I like how you bring up you know the conflicting ideas that a lot of people are like oh well, why aren't you focusing on a bigger issue because I even get that a lot I'm like hey just recycle a little bit and they're like there's no reason to I'm like well it's opening a door to the entire world of environmentalism so I love that you bring that up. And I will admit, I did a little stalking of your social media, and I saw that you attended both COP26 and COP27. And I just wanted to know, what was your experience like? Do you think that it has really been successful in addressing climate change and how the countries are planning to take action? I mean,
1: the short answer is no, because we still have climate change. And there's been 27 of these, and there's about to be a 28th. So there's one every year. And I'll be going to that one as well. That's in Dubai. Um, And I guess partly you think, no, obviously not, because over the past 30 years, you know, when these things have been going, we've still seen an increase in carbon emissions. We've still seen more warming. We've still seen bigger impacts, right? So partly you could say it's been a failure. But on the other side of that coin, you have to say, well, imagine what it would be without these, you know, without these, we would be in even bigger trouble and we would have less action from, you know, countries around the world. I mean, I think going to them. So the first one I went to was COP26 and it was in Glasgow, which is where I'm from. So I was born in Glasgow, lived there for like most of my life um, and I've only just recently moved away. And so, but actually at the time I was living there. So it felt like the world came to my front door and I was like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. But it also, I think really highlighted the importance of countries like the UK who are not the biggest emitter in the world, but have a really big responsibility on a sort of geopolitical level to be leveraging big change also it was important for us to think about okay what legacy does this leave for here you know Glasgow, Scotland, the UK you know what are we going to do if we're going to host this thing we need to then be putting actions in place we can't host a global climate summit and then just not do anything about it ourselves um but yeah I think it's sort of every time I go and even now in the run-up to this next one you do think you know what is the point but ultimately You know, it is one of the only summits on a global stage that gives every country a seat at the table. So you think about the G7, the G20, the G8, you know, all these things like it's only a handful of countries that get to go. Whereas this one, every country gets to go, gets to share what's happening and think that's really unique um, and that's important. And also it's, you know, important for people like myself to go, you know, even though I'm not a UN negotiator, I can still relay back through the media, you know, what's happening. I can still use my own platforms to try and champion change. And I can go and be a sort of advocate for the various different organisations that are that are trying to get their message across. So, you know, they're important, but they're absolutely not everything that's needed. And there's so much more beyond these summits um, that we need to implement.
0: I also have a following question. Do you think that it is, you know, more of an issue for the people or the government to take action on climate change?
1: I think it's both. And, you know, I think I'm pretty sure there's some philosophy about like the Overton window about how we kind of shift people and how we make change. But, you know, I think ultimately. If I want to wake up and live a more sustainable life, so I want to take public transport. Okay, there needs to be a bus service (laughs) that's near me. There needs to be, you know, a cheap train that takes me to where I need to go. Um, There needs to be help and support. You know, I can't just wake up and take the bus if there's no bus that goes past my front door. Um, So I think partly it's about the will of the people, but then also the government to say we're going to help your business, you know, to help that out. Um, but also the government is not going to put things in place if they don't think people want it. Um, so it's it's kind of about this like tug of war, like push and pull between. And, you know, we saw that. So David Attenborough, he did this uh, Blue Planet 2 documentary. It was all about plastic. And there was all these horrible images of like plastic in the ocean and marine wildlife, you know, getting trapped in it. And there was a huge outcry from people saying we don't want single use plastic, but we are stuck buying it because companies are producing it and we can't get away from that so then we did see and we still are seeing you know the change from that which is companies going okay yeah we do have a big role in this so let's see what we can do and we've seen you know items becoming plastic free or having less packaging or companies really trying to do it obviously it's so slow and we need a lot more but that wouldn't have happened if we didn't have blue planet 2 and everybody crying out about it and all those images and so it's kind of a push and pull and so I think for me, it is important for me to use my money, to spend it, to support small businesses that are trying to do things differently and to raise my voice. But I ultimately know that I am stuck at times, you know, buying the clothes or the food that that is available to me. And so it's hard because nobody can live a perfect life. And even if I was, if I was perfect and didn't have a single gram of carbon associated with my carbon footprint, that's fine. But that's just one person. What about the next eight billion? So I think that's why it's important to have that push and pull. Um and you know, certainly politicians react a lot to what people want because they want to get re-elected. And so we need to encourage people to be shouting about the green initiatives that they want to see.
0: I love that. Really the whole push and pull. Yeah. Um, and you are, you know, less waste, Laura. So let's get into that a little bit. What is the number one sustainable swap that you recommend to anyone?
1: Do you know? I mean, this is interesting because I think people love to find a silver bullet they're like there must be something that everybody can do but you know if I'm talking to my grandparents about sustainability the waste that they create is very different to the waste that I create you know fast fashion is not a thing for them but that's kind of what our generation is like forced to buy from um but in the same way that like they're not buying food to go and meal deals and coffees on the go because they like to sit and relax in a cafe and watch the world go by so I think you know there is kind of no silver bullet for like what what you know waste people create and i also think there's different like seasons of life so some of my friends are like new parents and they're like oh my gosh there's so much waste associated with a baby this is crazy and so they're kind of navigating that space and obviously there's no point in me be buying reusable nappies because i don't have a baby so for them it looks very different but i think the the tip that i always give people is and this is something i did back in the beginning so you need to do a waste audit, which sounds really boring, but actually it's quite interesting. And it's just like for two weeks, collect all your waste, even if you're out and about, like everything that you were going to throw away, just try and keep it in the house. And after two weeks, like go through it, look at it, see what's there, start sorting it out. Because when I first did this in 2018, One of the things I realized is, oh my goodness, I am buying so many meal deals. I'm going out and buying my lunch to go and I've got all this packaging. And it's because I was at uni and I was lazy and I didn't want to make a packed lunch. But I realized actually 50% of what I'm producing as waste is just to do with like takeaway coffees and takeaway soup and sandwiches and all that kind of stuff. And so I thought, okay, if I get a reusable coffee cup, if I buy a lunchbox, if I take it to get stuff in, or if I make my lunch at home... I'm going to save fifty percent of all this stuff. And so I did it that way. I kind of tackled it. And when other people have done it, they found other items. You know, maybe for them, it's nappies, like diapers for their baby. or maybe it's bottles of like fizzy juice, soda, like that kind of thing. But for each person, it's something different. And so I think that's always my tip is like do it for you. like see what you're creating and like find the the tiny little swaps and changes that you could make.
0: Wow, I've never heard of that. I'll have to do that next week. (laughs) See how much waste I'm producing. That's crazy. Um, You also work a lot with Tear Fund on a lot of important campaigns. Um, Can you tell me more more about what Tear Fund is and what has been your favorite campaign with them?
1: Mm, Yeah, so Tear Fund is an international NGO. So they work all around the world and they are really trying to lift people or help people lift themselves out of poverty. And so they work in 50 countries across the world and each of those locations has you know unique set of circumstances and unique communities and they don't parachute in and try and help they find grassroots organizations who already work there and say how can we support the work that you're doing sometimes that's financial sometimes that's support with advocacy in their own country to try and get political change sometimes it's a mixture of both um and so they've been doing that for over 50 years and it's amazing to see that um, and they also have roots in faith in Christianity. And so one of the things they do is kind of look at globally, you know, how can the church also with all of its different locations be helping to do stuff? Because most of the time there's a church where there is need and how can they be utilizing that? Um, and I've worked, yeah, worked for them for three years and I'm an ambassador for them. And it's amazing to kind of be able to contribute in a small way to the work that they are doing. Um, And I'll be going to COP with them again, and they bring activists from all over the world to kind of really champion what's happening. But I think one of, I mean, one of the favourite things I've been able to do is with climate action, it's really important that we engage everyone. So that means that we engage people who love sports. We love, we engage people who love fashion. We engage people who love travelling or food. And in the same way, we need to be engaging communities of faith. And it takes somebody who's got a faith to engage with that community in a way that they understand. So over the last few years, I've done so much work with Christians and with churches to say, are you thinking about climate change? Because the Bible definitely talks about it. So are you talking about it and what are you doing? And that's been an amazing journey to try and get Christians on board and to think about it. And one of the cool things actually that's just been released in October this year was um, climate conversations with me as a sort of tier fund ambassador with five other Christian organisations. And these organisations do completely different work. So some of them are like theologically based. They do Bible teaching. Some of them are about relieving poverty, but like here locally in the UK. Others are about like youth empowerment. Others are about global trafficking. So they're all about different subjects. And we sit down and we just have a conversation. And we kind of didn't know where it would go, but we're like, let's film it and see. And what we we're trying to work out is Does climate change relate to your work? Does it relate to you? Does it relate to anything? Is this a fringe issue or is this a court issue? And actually one of the things that was amazing was actually seeing that climate change was a thread throughout everyone's work. Climate justice, you know, lifting people out of poverty, finding dignity um, and kind of like fighting the big injustice issues that are rife around the world. And it was amazing. And that to me was great, because I think there's a lot of people who say, oh, climate change is just not for me, or it's not an issue I'm passionate about, or it doesn't, you know, it it doesn't affect me in my life. And these conversations pulled out, actually, if you care about people in the UK living in poverty, or if you care about global trafficking, or if you care about the Bible, actually, climate change is something that you should be thinking about. And that was a really cool project because... Although it's not necessarily something everyone would find interesting, there's a whole group of people, a whole community of people of faith who will watch that and take something away from it. And I think that was, yeah, something that I really loved working on this past year.
0: That is phenomenal. I mean, at least here in America, I do feel like there is some sort of tension between religion and climate change that I've seen. Um, So it's great to see you addressing that and showing, you know, it does fit right into your faith. And following, you know, engaging all sorts of communities. How can we get youth involved with environmental activism? I mean, this is a, a huge
1: topic. And I think there's been a lot of, somebody called it like youth washing. So greenwashing is obviously where we fake environmental stuff and make it look better than it is. And youth washing is definitely something that's coming along, which is we just pluck out a young person and go, hello, we're just going to shove you on this panel or we're going to put you on this board or we're going to email you about something and then talk about we've engaged with young people. And I think that is something that's definitely happening. I've certainly felt even at 27, I feel like I get brought in as a young person and I'm like, one, I'm the upper end of young person now. And two, all I've done is sit in this meeting for one hour like this cannot be all your youth engagement. So I think it's about meaningful engagement and I think it's about recognising that even though they've maybe not got the same resources or assets at their disposal, so whether that's like money, time, being able to move or whatever it might be, they can still like contribute creative ideas to, to what we're doing. Um, but I think this question also goes hand in hand with like, we are seeing a lot of young people who are concerned Eco anxiety is something that we talk about and people are always like oh how do we help young people with equal anxiety and normally people say oh we need to do like mindfulness and we need to like help them and like da-da-da. i'm like oh no we need to solve the problem if you came to me and said look i'm really anxious about money problems i've got money problems i'm in debt or da-da-da. or maybe you're like i've got issues because of this i wouldn't say to you let's go on a walk and try and feel better i'd be like okay Let's create a budget because until you solve the debt problem or the whatever the problem is, like you're always going to feel anxious about this. That is just the way it works. And so I think when we engage young people, it's about saying, okay, what are the issues and how can we solve them? So it might be something like global warming, which obviously takes a while, or it might be you know locally there's a horrible green space that feels dangerous and it's not got street lights and it's full of litter and da 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 da. Okay, let's actually go and solve that. Let's go and fix that problem. And I think when we engage with young people, it's about that. It's about saying, actually, we're going to take action on what you've said, or we're going to be really clear about what we can and cannot do, but we want you to help us shape that. So I just think, actually, young people are already engaged, but we're beginning to see this sort of, like, tipping point where actually they're going to disengage because we're like, well, what's the point? What's the point in me saying to you what I want as a young person or what we would like to see? when it's not going to happen. And fair enough, like not everything will be possible, but young people can understand when things are and aren't you know, possible if we explain it to them. So I think that is, and it's something like I'm quite passionate about because like too often we've just seen young people like brought in for no reason or to be like inspirational but we don't actually take on what they've said. Um, But I think there is a lot of young people challenging that. And it's important for all of us to kind of continue doing that as we work in this space.
0: Absolutely. And we're learning new vocab words, youth washing. That's interesting. Wow. I know. Wow. Um, And final question Do you have any words of wisdom or even advice to future change makers like yourself?
1: I don't know. I mean, I think ultimately it's just about like surrounding yourself with supportive people because I think often like people kind of get put up as like, oh, this was the lead campaigner on this thing or, you know, but actually there's teams of people behind them. Um, And I think it's about recognizing that there's a different role for everybody. Um, And so although I am happy to come on podcasts or go on the media, like go on the TV or speak at something, um, there's loads of stuff that I can't do and there's loads of stuff that I need support in. And actually there's amazing people that can help me with whether it's like in the background admin stuff or like helping pull together policy briefings or you know whatever it might be and those people are actually just as much a change maker as me because they don't want to do the speaking and I don't want to do the spreadsheets so together we make a great team Um, and so I think it's just important that if if anyone is like passionate about an issue you know you don't have to actually you shouldn't do it on your own and you don't have to do it on your own and it's about finding that community that can help you do that because that will make it sustainable you won't burn out you won't you know run out of ideas Um, and something's always better when you've got other people because you hear more ideas um so I think that would just be my words of wisdom is like even though you might see in the media or like see you know wherever it is on social media like individuals doing stuff it's never just them like it's always a group Um, and so like definitely try and find that um and find people with those skills to help build an amazing campaign
0: or whatever it is you're wanting to do. I think that's perfect advice. And thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It was so nice talking to you and I hope you inspire so many people listening. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's been great. Laura is just one of many changemakers to be featured on the Chat for a Change podcast. Stay tuned to learn more about the changemakers of today and how you can become a changemaker of tomorrow.